Okay, so I think I think we're set. Um, so thank you so much, Beth, for that introduction. Um, we are just so excited to be here with you today. Um, and as Beth said, I um, I am working at this point with the Texas Regional Office in Outreach, but I'm also a patent examiner. Um, and my background is in medical implants. Um, however, today we are not talking to you about patents. Um, we're here to talk about trademarks. So for today's discussion, um, we're gonna kick it off by talking about what is a trademark um, and the definition of a trademark and why um, there are advantages to having it registered federally. Um, and then Hope's going to talk with you about filing considerations, the trademark examination process, and how to maintain your trademark. And then I'll close with tips and helpful USPTO resources. So what is a trademark? Um, the, that's where we need to start when we're doing a trademark presentation. So a trademark is any word, slogan, symbol, design, a combination of these that identifies your good or your service. So really a trademark is a source identifier. It lets you know that when you see that word, slogan, symbol, or design or combination, um, you know what you're gonna get. So I have already seen um, two Starbucks cups um, just, just as we've been on video chatting this morning, I've seen two Starbucks cups um, lifted and that lets me know that there is coffee inside that there when I see that Starbucks logo. Um, so that is the essence of a trademark. It's a source identifier. Okay, so with that source identifier, we see a few symbols um, out in the world. And um, I'm gonna start by talking about the R with the circle around it. Um, that is the federally registered trademark symbol. Um, the other symbol that you'll see is the TM. Now anyone can use a TM, even if your trademark is not registered federally. And with, um, with TM, um, it can be considered a common law trademark. So let's talk a little bit more about what a common law trademark is. A common law trademark is a trademark that's not been registered federally, but your common law trademark exists automatically as soon as you start using a trademark for business. So for example, here in Fairfax, Virginia, if I decided to open up um, a business and I'm gonna call it Christine's Cookies and I am going to, um, to link my Christine's Cookies with a trademark that is a, a cookie made in the shape of a C. So, um, so locally in my area in Fairfax, everyone immediately oh. is going to recognize that Christine's cookies are the cookies shaped like a C. However, that is not going to provide protection for me nationally. So that's only going to um, provide protection for me in my area where people recognize it. So your rights are limited to your geographic area based on your use in that area. Um, okay, moving along. So that's a common law trademark. So now let's go through some examples of trademarks. Um, we said that trademarks can be words like Starbucks, Nike, and Target, or designs. Um, so this this is the logo that I saw. I like I said, I think I've spotted it on two cups so far this morning. So our Starbucks logo, um, the Nike swoosh, or the Target bullseye. Those are our, our more traditional trademarks. They're the ones that we're used to seeing, and we also have non-traditional trademarks. 
Um, I find these really interesting. So non-traditional trademarks can be colors. So if you see this shade of blue on a box, um, most of most of us might might uh, get pretty excited and realize that that is Tiffany blue. And what's going to be in that box is going to be a beautiful piece of jewelry. Um, same thing with UPS brown. If you see that color, you go, oh, yeah, I'm getting a package in the mail or John Deere green. So again, these are trade identifiers. They help you know exactly what's going to be in that box. Um, some more non-traditional marks are scents. This is one of my, uh, my favorite slides because I did not know that the Verizon store has its own scent. It's a flowery musk scent. Um, and you can best believe that the next time I am in a Verizon store, I am going to be sniffing around <laughs> trying to find that flowery musk scent. Um, and another fun one is Play-Doh. And the Play-Doh scent is the scent of a sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with slight overtones of cherry combined with the smell of a salted wheat-based dough. So to me, it just smells like childhood. Um, but apparently, there is a trademark scent for Play-Doh. OK, some more non-traditional marks um, are sounds. So um, so the giggle of the Pillsbury Doughboy or the chime of the the NBC Peacock, or the sound of you getting coins as you beat your brother at Mario. <laughs> okay, so now we want to know why, if we if we can have a common law trademark, then why seek federal registration? What what are the advantages to registering your trademark federally with the USPTO? So, um, with most things, one of the biggest uh, biggest advantages to registering your trademark is that there are legal implications. So you have the legal presumption of ownership and the right to use your mark. And with that right, you can also enforce the right to use that mark um, and protect it um, in federal court. So if you do not have a federal registration, you cannot protect your trademark in federal court. Um, also, uh, if you are registered federally, it provides public notice because your mark is listed in our USPTO database. So that means if somebody else decides that they want to be Christine's Cookies um, and I am federally registered, they could go to that database and say and see, oh, darn, Christine's Cookies already gone. I have to find another trademark for my product. Um, your rights with a federal uh, federally registered trademark are granted throughout the United States and its territories. And that's a nice jumping off point um, because it serves as a basis for foreign filing um, in any treaty member countries. So the last um, advantage that I wanna talk about is that if you are federally registered, um, then it's a means for preventing importation of infringing products um, through the US Customs and Border Protection. So what that means is that you need to be registered in order for the Customs Department to stop um, uh, products that are a fake or a, a counterfeit product um, bearing your trademark from coming into the country. So lots of advantages to, to registering that, um, that trademark. Okay, we're gonna talk about some filing considerations. Um, so in order to file a trademark, you have to go to myuspto.gov, uh, which is found at uspto.gov and create an account with myuspto.gov. So you're gonna hear us uh, talk about uspto.gov 
a lot. That is your jumping off point for anything that you want to do in patents or trademarks. Um, it's a great resource, tons of information. Um, and then once you go to USPTO.gov, um, you're going to click up here in the right hand corner and uh, create an account with my USPTO. So once you have that account, um, then you can begin the process of, um, of filing for your trademark. So um, there's also a great resource here, again, that USPTO.gov is your starting point. Um, great FAQs and, um, and lots more information on that website. Okay, so also in myuspto.gov, you can see your trademark docket. Um, and there is something called a form finder widget. Um, I just love that word. I don't know about anyone else, but widget. So this widget um, identifies forms using plain language. So if you are trying to file your application and you're looking for a form, we're the government, we have lots of forms, um, this will help you to find what you need. We also have uh, moved into uh, modern day times and um, the USPTO trademarks has um, has launched an app. So this app is available at the Apple Store and on Google Play and um, great way to check the status of your trademark application. Okay, so that's enough from me for now. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Hope who is going to talk to you about um, about the steps for filing and the processing of trademark applications. All right, thanks, Christine, and thank you to Beth and Doug for inviting us to join everyone today. A couple things I wanted to mention real quick is that we will be doing Q&A after this, and so if you do have questions, if you wanted to put it in chat, um, we can address it directly that way. Um, but we will follow up with Q&A to mention is that we are doing one-on-ones and I know a few of you um, signed up for one-on-ones, and so we're looking forward to connecting with you. But if there's, we do have a couple of additional slots um, from a time frame standpoint. So if there's anyone there that wants to speak specifically to us about any of your cases, let me know or let Beth know, excuse me, and then she can add you to the schedule um, for our teams to be able to talk to you about it. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about what happens when um, you submit an application into our office. As Christine mentioned, um, there's a couple of different types of trademarks and ways that you can file a trademark. One is you don't even have to file and you'll get um, what's called common law rights, but recognizing that common law rights are gonna be limited to geographic area and that's the area in which you're selling your product. You can also file with a state. So some people choose to um, file only with a particular individual state. So for example, um, if I only wanted to file within um, Texas and I don't think I'm gonna be selling my products or going to be expanding or franchising outside of Texas, then um, I might choose to only file a trademark application within Texas. But if you do think that you're going to go multi-state and um, or even three to four states or across the entire United States, that's when you actually come to the USPTO to file for a federal registration. And note that the federal registration is only for the United States. Um, it is not 
a worldwide registration. Every country has their own registration system. And so if you want to go international, then you'll need to file with them. But if you want to file to cover all of the United States, then you come to us um, to the US Patent and Trademark Office, and that will be your federal registration. Okay, so there are two types of registrations with our office that you can file for. Um, one's called T's standard and the other one is T's plus. And I'll go a little bit more into detail what the difference is. But all our applications are only accepted electronically. Um, last year, we went away from accepting any sort of paper applications. And so now um, you can only file um, electronically with our office. Same thing with um, paying, um, believe it or not, it's within the last five years, we shut down our, our little receiving box in which we can um, accept cash payments. Um, I am sorry if you wanted to pay for this with your pennies and your nickels and dimes, you can't do that anymore. You do need to set up an account with us in order for you to go ahead and pay and process um, your applications with us. Okay? So next slide, please, Christine. Um, so there are two different types of applications that you can file with us. One is called the T's Plus and the other one is the T's standard. So um, with the um, T's plus, what that is, is that um, you essentially take the generic list of goods and services. So when you file your application with us, you actually have to select the good and service that you think that you're gonna be providing to the public. Um, and, and once you do that from our standard list, then you can use the T's Plus application process. Now, if you are um, creating a brand new business line, you've created the next AI company, or you've created the next um, web company or the internet system, and that is not something that is easily uh, fit into one of the standard categories of goods or services, you can actually create your own line of goods and services. And that's what um, the T's standard is. And so um, you can go in and just make the description and you have two options on choosing which direction you want to go. Now understand that these filing fees are based on each class. Okay, so if you um, select two types of goods or one good and one service, so for example, in Christine's cookies um, situations, let's say that you not only um, sell and um, the actual cookies itself, but you also um, sell on the side um, the wrapping and the, the paper goods, or you have a recipe book or something else that you are selling in addition to the products that you have or the cookies that you have, then you'll have to pay two separate classes if they fall within two separate classes. So then your filing fee for T's Plus is going to be $450 versus the $225, okay? So let's go to the next slide, please. So, um, there are a number of different things that you need to make sure that you include when you actually file. And it's really important that you include all of these things because the likelihood of you being able to go back and correct your mistake is um, 
is not going to be very high. And um, so there's a couple of other consequences that are associated with that in which I will go into detail a little bit more. But um, you need to make sure that not only are you, you um, putting the correct owner of the mark and contact information, um, but you're going to need to include a clear drawing of the mark. So if you remember like the, <coughs> excuse me, Nike the Nike symbol, the Swish symbol, or the Starbucks mermaid, um, that symbol. Um, we need to have a clear copy of that particular drawing when we actually file with our office. You would not believe how um, sometimes we would get these um, drawings and the pixelation is off or we can't see the entire mark. Um, please make sure that when you are submitting things in that it is clear because once it gets into our registration, um, if, if you were submitting the Starbucks mermaid and we can't see the facial features on that, then um, that will automatically not be included as part of the mark because the drawing was not clear, okay? So make sure that the features, if there are important features that you want on it, make sure that it is in the right color, that it is clearly something that um, you want to go ahead and protect. The next piece is um, the identification of goods or services. This is probably the most um, important piece of your actual filing. If you don't list all of the goods or services that and clearly identify what they are in your initial filing, then you're not going to probably be able to um, add that on at a later date. You'll need to file another application um, in order to get... Um, coverage for those particular goods and services. You can take out, but you're not going to be able to add in. Okay, And so sometimes um, that's a problem if you are comparing registrations on who has the right first. Um, if someone comes in later or files the same mark before different lines or of goods or services, but you happen to be um, using it in that line of good or services then, then um, they got the right registration. And so then you're fighting your common law rights against the actual registration. And remember, common law rights are limited by geographic scope, right? So you're going to have those types of arguments. And it's much harder to prove at the end of the day. Okay. So let's go to the next slide, please, Christine. Okay. So a couple other requirements. I'm not going to um, spend a lot of time on this. Um, I'm actually, um, we'll be able to share these slides with you, but um, I'm going to move on to the next slide. Um, as I mentioned, um, at the application, you have to have the list of goods or services. You can't submit an application without actually actually identifying a particular good or service. Um, we actually break them up. So the typical classes are um, of goods are within classes one through 34, and then services are 35 through 45. And so those are all found on our goods and services ID manual, and that you can find that at USPTO.gov, and the link is right there. And so um, moving on to the next slide, please. So when you are identifying your goods and services, make sure that you are very specific and you are clearly identifying exactly what um, you're trying to cover because our goods and services, they tend to be fairly generic. 
And um, because it is a source identifier, your trademark is a source identifier of who is actually going to be providing that particular goods and services. You also need to be very specific on um, what you are going to be providing. So for example, if, um, if you are providing electronic devices, um, and specifically, you're going to be providing a tablet computer versus any other electronic device like a television set or a monitor or anything else, then you need to specifically um, list that out. Okay. And so same thing with a particular service. If you are providing business services um, and you're providing administrative services as opposed to computer services or any other types of services, being um, in order for you to be able to identify what type of thing that you are actually um, going to be providing for us. Okay. Next slide, please. So there are two different types of um, ways that you can actually file. In addition to uh, T's plus and T's standard, there are two types of what we call filing bases that we have. Um, one basis is that you are already selling your product and you are using that particular mark in commerce. And so you are already in business, um, you have products that are sold or are, you are already advertising that or you are already using your services. You can file what's called a Section 1A use and commerce filing. The other way that you can file is an, an intent to use. And an, an intent to use means that you are reserving your mark to be used in the future. So if you are in the process of setting up your um, company, and let's just say that you, maybe you don't have your seed funding yet, or you are in the process of um, securing funding, but you do know that you want to reserve that name or you want to reserve that particular symbol that you want to use associated with that product or with the name of your business, then you can actually reserve your mark and claim that you have an intent to use. And so you'll have to file a couple of renewals um, every six months. But once you actually start to use your um, intent or your mark in commerce, you start to sell your product or you've started your actual business, then you can convert that into um, a 1A uh, use in commerce actual application. And what you do is you just file a statement that you are starting to use that and then you'll have to show an example of how you are filing that, okay? Or using that, excuse me. So next slide, please. So, all right, so you've gotten all your paperwork together and you've actually submitted it to our office. So what happens next? There's a number of things that actually happen. So once you actually submit the application into our office, it'll get into the hands of a trademark examining attorney who will begin the review of the actual application. What they'll actually do is they will go through our database and they will look for products that could potentially, or marks, excuse me, that could potentially cause confusion. And we will um, talk about that in more detail in a minute. 
And so the ultimate test of determining whether you can get a mark or not get a mark is if someone is going to be confused about who the source or the provider is of that product or good. And so if there's any sort of um, confusion across the board, then and um, you will likely be rejected for an application. And so uh, the examiner is looking for that, and there's a number of different ways that they are searching to be able to identify whether there's going to be confusion. They're going to look through your goods and services and um, identify all of those things, and then they will actually be sending you um, a rejection or a approval of your mark, and you'll be doing some correspondence back and forth with our office, um, depending on what the trademark examining attorney finds. Okay, so next slide, please. So when they're looking at um, the likelihood of confusion, um, there are two things that they're going to be testing, um, a two-part test. One is they're gonna look at the mark itself. And so um, they're gonna look to see if it appears the same, right? If you have the Starbucks um, mermaid, and let's say um, there is another symbol that is very close, and instead of a mermaid, let's say it is a chipmunk. Okay, or it is a male mermaid, for example. So they'll look at that and then they'll say, hey, is it close enough in appearance um, to the other Starbucks mermaid? And then make a determination on whether it's going to be a likelihood of confusion if someone were to look at that and to say, hey, is that being provided by Starbucks or is it being provided by someone else, right? So they'll look at that. The other thing that they're gonna look at is they are going to say, hey, um, if it's just pure words, does it sound the same? And so, for example, if you are using the word write with a W um, as you are writing, and then it is in, in a particular font, it's in a particular color, and it has, um, and then there's another word that's right next to it, and, but you're using the word write as in, you know, going right. If it's in the same line of goods or services, then it probably will be similar enough because when someone says it, you're not going to necessarily know whether it's the right with the W or right, you're turning right um, at the at um, at the stop sign, right? So they will likely say, hey, there may be some confusion on that. Same thing with misspellings. Okay, so even if you have something that you have misspelled, it may look different in appearance, but it might sound the same when someone actually says it. So it might cause some sort of likelihood of confusion. That's something that the examiner is actually going to be considering across the board. Okay. The other thing that they're going to look at is, um, are they in the same lines of goods or services? So if I am Nike and I am selling um, in um, I, I know that I'm selling sports equipment, I am selling um, um, sports-related apparel, okay, so those are things that I sell as Nike, and then I am another business that I am starting up, and I want to use the Nike swoosh symbol, and uh, maybe even the name Nike, um, I'm not sure, but I am in the computer business, okay. Um, one of the tests that we're going to look at is, 
yes, it may be the same, it may be the same mark, but they are in completely different lines of goods or services. And so because they're in different lines of goods or services, then yes, you might be able to get that mark because someone who is buying a computer service that is, or computer goods, is not likely gonna think it's the same um, Nike company that is providing my tennis shoes or my, uh, my tennis racket. Okay, so completely different. Now, Nike is actually a bad example in this particular case because Nike is one of the most famous, if not the most famous mark across the entire world. And so when you get to that status, um, it doesn't matter which line of goods or service you're coming in at, you're not going to be able to get Nike. But if it's not something that is at the famous level, then you um, just because you have the same mark, doesn't mean that you couldn't be able to secure the rights to it if you're in a different line of goods or services. Okay. So let's go to the next slide, please. Okay, and I'm actually going to speed this up a little bit since I recognize that um, um, I wanna leave some time for Q&A and also for Christine to finish up. So there's a number of different um, areas that uh, different types of um, marks that you get. If you go from right to left, generic to fanciful, um, that that chart that you see there, or that, that line, when you move from right to left, the mark becomes stronger and it is easier to get that particular mark. Now, a generic mark, um, so for example, a print, the name printer or um, the famous case about Xerox, right? So for a while, Xerox is known as a photocopier or just making a photocopy, I would make a, um, a Xerox. Um, if those names become generic, then that's not, it's used in everyday language, you cannot get a trademark on that. Okay, but um, as you move up from descriptive, suggestive, and fanciful, then you are more likely to be able to get um, a trademark, and your mark ends up being stronger because um, everyone knows who is actually providing that. So, if we go to slide the next slide, please. Here's a couple of different um, types of marks. Some marks are suggestive, um, in which it talks about the intended or desired effect of the good, so like copper tone, dry foot, and ever ready. But um, a stronger mark um, on the scale of strength is marks that are actual words that um, don't actually are not. A associated with a particular good or service. So for example, Apple, it's not the actual fruit, right? But we all know that Apple provides our phones, computers, um, number of different things like that. Um, same thing with Gap and Blackberry. Both of them are actual words in the American language, but they are not associated with the actual good or service, and so they're considered arbitrary. Um, the last one is fanciful. And so I, I listed um, Xerox on here. It is an invented word, and they did a huge campaign, and they were able to get out of the generic um, category and so but um, in general these are not things that you would typically see in everyday language they are invented words and so they're considered fanciful marks okay let's move on and let me skip down a couple of slides and go down to the timelines um, the only thing I'm going to mention on the slide right before Christine is that uh, make sure you are paying attention to your deadlines. There are a lot of deadlines.
deadlines. And if you miss the deadline, you're able to appeal or do anything else, but make sure you're paying attention to deadlines. Most of the deadlines are in a six month time frame, And so just make sure that you're responding accordingly to our office. Um, let's go to slide uh, 30 or the next slide. Um, the next slide uh, tells you that after you register your mark, you receive your actual registration, you do need to continue to renew it at certain time frames. And so um, the first renewal is between the fifth and sixth year after your registration. And then after that, at, it starts at the 10th year and you renew every 10 years after that. And the requirement for you to continue to renew is that you are um, actually using it in um, commerce. Okay. All right. So let's move down uh, to the next slide. Let's keep going to slide 32. If you want to get a step-by-step -step procedure on how how to apply for our, our application, our USPTO website has some great resources that will walk you through um, the videos. And so um, just wanted to point that out. And if we go to the next slide, please, we also have a number of other resources online. So please use our USPTO.gov website. As Christine said, lots and lots of information. Um, my last slide is the next one. We do have a 1-800 number. And so if you do have questions and you have difficulty with filing your application or you just wanted to follow up on some of the information we shared, please feel free to um, call our 1-800 number. All right, Christine, now back over to you. Thanks, Hope. Oh my gosh, I, I don't know about you all, but I just learned so much. So um, Hope is uh, just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to trademarks. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk to you about some other resources that are um, maybe a little less specific to trademarks, um, but just things that, that are available to you. Um, the USPTO has a patent pro bono program. Um, and there are some qualifications that you have to meet in order to use the patent pro bono program, but it's really a fantastic resource um, if you do meet these qualifications. And this little map shows um, the pro bono organizations across the country. Um, there are not organizations in every state, but in states that are less populated that may not have an organization, um, they will be served by um, nearby organizations. So. Um, you're probably wondering more about Texas. And in Texas, um, the pro bono program is supported by the Texas Accountants and Lawyers for the Arts, so the TALA patent pro bono program, um, located in Austin. And there is some um, information here um, with a contact uh, uh, email as well. Okay, we also support law school clinics. So the law school clinics are just win-win um, and a good thing for you to know about. So the USPTO's law school clinic certification program allows law students that are enrolled in law school to, um, to actually get experience drafting and filing patent applications or trademark applications for clients under the supervision of um, a faculty member. So you as, um, as a business would have the advantage of um, of the experience of the supervisor, and the student has the the advantage of getting experience. So, like I said, total win win on that one. Um, the law school clinic certification program exists um, all over the country. These are um, the locations, and uh, and you can see that there are four schools in Texas that participate, um, and they are 
um, Baylor, South Texas, Southern Methodist, and Texas A&M. So really fabulous resource for you. Um, another great resource that is nationwide um, that the Patent Office is, is very happy to present um, is the PTRC, which is the Patent Trademark Resource Centers. So PTRCs um, are, in, are found in public, state, and academic libraries. Um, and these libraries are designated by the USPTO to help give out information on patents and trademarks and support the intellectual property needs of the public. So you can see all over the place we have these PTRCs. Um, and if you go to USPTO.gov, again, um, slash PTRC, then you can find this map and find the PTRC um, that's nearest to you. Okay, that's all we have. Um, and I think we did leave some time for questions. So excited to hear uh, your thoughts and your questions. We want to thank you. Um, and I guess while I'm going through resources, um, here's our information and we also are a resource for you. So there's our email, phone number, um, and again, taking you back to USPTO.gov. So I really hope that you learned something today and um, have uh, enjoyed our presentation. We're looking forward to continuing this relationship um, with Richardson IQ and with you all um, and supporting you in your patent and, and trademark needs. So thank you so much. And I'm going to stop sharing my screen now. Uh, there we go. And turn it back over. Thanks so much, Christine. That was, and Hope, thanks so much. That was a lot of great information. And I just want to remind everyone that we're recording this and we'll post it to the Meetup site and uh, we'll post the presentation as well. Um, I know it was a lot to absorb, so um, you may want to take a, a listen again, um, but fabulous. Uh, so yeah, we do have some time. Great job um, wrapping everything up in time for some questions because I'm sure we've got some. So um, folks, if you want to unmute and um, rate, I, Chris, I see you unmuted quickly. Do you want, do you have a question? Um, uh... I guess I could use oh, okay. uh, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I okay. Yeah, you put me on the spot, but yes. I'm um, sorry. So um, I'll just give an example of uh, one of the um, trademarks that we have currently. So, um, and and it's uh, my question is in regard to specificity. So, for instance, I have um, the word the the logo maestro, which is a common word, um, but I have it, for instance, in class. 35. Um, and um, how strict is it in terms of the classes, um, in terms of specificity of use? Like I, I have it registered one, but sometimes the classes get a little nebulous. And I want to be careful because I do have a fairly common word that is um, trademarked about not infringing in other people that may have it in other classes. So do you have any any guidance there? Because that can get a tricky situation sometimes. It can. It really can. And I think one of the things um, that you can probably do is to do a search of that particular mark um, maestro um, in our systems to see where else it's being used. Are you 
um, if you are using it outside of and and I am not familiar what with what is in each class so I have to actually okay. look it up so let's say it's um, you want to use class 38 or 40 for example all right um, maybe do a search in there to see if someone has that particular word that they are being used so um, a couple of things to keep in mind um, so maestro if is your mark um, the word itself is that specifically or do you have a design that's associated with it that like for example this one is stylized and I have others um, trademarks that are just the word but um, my okay. question is kind of around um, because some of the categories are a little bit nebulous um, and some mm -hmm. right and so mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's really my question is because some of the categories are a little bit vague um, you know what's the best practice so that you, you don't make somebody else mad that has it in another class <laughs> I mean, the easiest, like I said, is just, you know, looking to see if someone else has it in that particular class, right? Yeah. Um, any more details that in that particular class, you'll just have to get someone to really analyze it and see how close you really are at that point in time. So if you have a stylized mark, for example, and someone else has the same word maestro, but stylized differently in a different class, then... Um, or they have a logo associated with the word maestro that they're using in a different class, then, you know, you'll have to ask the question, is there, if someone were to look at your word and your goods, is someone going to confuse it um, with someone else's goods or services? So, but at that point, you're kind of really making a legal determination, right? And so you'll have to kind of ask um, an attorney at that point in time, exactly yeah. how close are you? And that's really my question is because some of the categories are very similar um, mm -hmm. in use. And so some of the, sometimes the vagaries kind of frighten me a bit. So I usually do consult with a, our, our uh, attorney on a lot of this, but um, just wanted to know some best practices to kind of stay in the, in the straight and narrow. <laughs> very good. Good idea. I hope I, I want to, kind of tail on that so i was just came up with a brilliant name for a for a game controller and um it's it starts with the letter e followed by a common word and uh in my initial search and i, I do have an ip attorney they found that that there's an automotive company that's kind of in there it's not in the same class but in their descriptions they say you can, you know, you, it, it includes control. So they were just telling me that, that the trademark office may allow my trademark and there may be no objections, but later on they could come along and, and say, no, this, this is confusing or infringing. So I'm, I'm sort of dissuaded from taking that name, which I think is brilliant. The trademark uh, that owns the mark. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that that is, I mean, that's going to be a real question, right? So control could be interpreted as electronics, right, even though they are automotive. And so um, the question really is, at the end of the day, is the owner of the other mark going to come after you to say that, hey, it's confusing to that to their customers. 
you. So um, if there's a way for you to make a striking in and out, um, if there is a way for you to slightly change it, I mean, your attorney should be able mm. to give you um, some ideas on whether you can stylize it differently, maybe put a logo with it or something else okay. to make it um, differentiated. Ask your attorney to see if there's a way to differentiate yours to reduce that confusion. Um, okay. They may be able to, they should be able to provide that. Okay, great. That's good to know. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any more questions for Hope or Christine? Uh, Hope uh, or Christine, um, what effects have the pandemic had on your processes and timelines, if any? That's a really good question. Actually, our um, so from a pandemic standpoint, um, our operations, we're fully 100% um, operational right now. And so we haven't had any issues because the majority of our workforce, 90% of our workforce was already teleworking. And so we just needed to get the remainder of the um, group um, in that particular situation. I think what's been interesting is just seeing our filing rates and in particular um, trademarks. Um, and trademarks, in case y'all don't know, is an indicator of how the economy really is doing. So if there's a lot of trademark filings within our office, Office, um, the economy tends to be doing really well. And so when the um, pandemic first hit last year, March, we saw a huge dip in our filings on trademarks. And so um, it really didn't come back around until probably the May timeframe when we started seeing filings come back up, which I think was an indication that some of the businesses were starting to open back up. Um, we had record filings in the month of September, in case you're wondering. And at that point, um, up until this last month, September was record filing month, um, highest number of applications ever in our history of filings on a single day. And then we had last month, even more filings across the board. And so we actually um, are behind. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you because we haven't seen this influx, but it's not because of the pandemic per se or our working at home. It's just because there's a lot of filings coming in on the trademark side. And so um, it is just a lot of work, which I think is great for our economy across the board. Uh, that's good so news. I, I'm going to address it just super quickly as an employee who's working on the patent side. Um, there, there was not even a blip. So like Hope said, most of our workforce works at home. I did not. I was still on campus in an office because I prefer that. Um, it was, it was a, a less than 12-hour turnaround to be working at home. No problems at all. Our, our dockets remained the same. Our, um, uh, our timelines remained the same. Nothing changed. So. Business as usual at the patent office. Now, what I can say is that we did do a number of things to make sure that we were touchless. And so we went through our entire operation to see what we needed to do to change our rules and regulations to make sure that we could accept 
e-signatures that everything could be filed electronically. We um, were more liberal on the type of filings um, electronically because not everyone had access to a scanner. You know, sometimes they had to take a picture and then send that in. And so we did go through all of our systems to try to make that um, easier for everyone. That's great. Thank you. I had one question come through chat. Is myuspto.gov where we check to see if a trademark is actually registered? So myuspto.gov is actually a personal account. So if you do file an application with us, then um, that is your way of seeing how your own account is operating. Um, if you go to uspto.gov, take out the word my, okay, and you can go in there and go into the trademark applications and trademark registrations um, section. There is something that'll pull up and it will show you all the applications um, that are registered with our office. It's just a Boolean search. So you can go in there, type it in, and then you can do a search that way. Great. Thank you. Well, again, uh, thanks to the USPTO team. This was great information. As a reminder, they will be back, although perhaps not the same group, but we'll have the USPTO team back on May 27th for another in our ongoing series of um, programs from them. And Doug has posted information on our next IQ Brew, which is Thursday, May 13th, and um, at 9 a.m. featuring Arun Gupta. So um, I need to let everyone know that we've had some challenges with the one-on-ones, thanks to technology. So those of you who requested the one-on-ones, if you'll send me your email addresses, we will get something scheduled for you as soon as possible. Okay. Um, and did I hear a question? Um, Beth, what is your email address? Sure. It's Beth at richardsonchamber.com. Thank you. So on that note, uh, thanks again for your participation in your time. And um, we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks and hopefully in person in the near future. Bye, all. Have a great day. Bye. Hey, 